from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from these United States of America. Me, I am in snowy, wintry mixed Des Moines where the roads are perilous. Uh, no, they're actually fine. Uh, but we like to make a bigger deal of it because we're in Iowa. I am the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Executive Vice President for the Newman Idea. You can find us at mchs.edu and newmanidea.org. Bud, you're out there in Pittsburgh. What's it like out in the land of French fries? <laughs> Honestly, I just loved your intro. I always perceived Iowans as very calm and level-headed, but... There's a little drama today. Well, I mean, with the weather, this is what I've decoded, right? When you move here and you're not yeah. from here, they're always like, oh, you know, we're, we, alas, always in these winter months, doth the snow fall. And they're acting like it's a big deal. But then every time it snows, they're like, oh, this is going to be a big one. And I'm like, are you, I, I thought you guys are all good with this stuff because it, it doesn't seem that bad to me. <laughs> but I, I'm a tubby guy who likes sweaters. So I like winter. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. Well, yeah. Pittsburgh continues to be, uh, honestly, unseasonably warm. So we've really been let down lightly by God this year when it comes to his providential direction of the weather. But, uh, <laughs> this is a bold claim. Uh, but I'm, I'm sitting here, uh, I'm sitting here uh, in the National Institute of, for Newman Studies looking out on a sunny Pittsburgh morning. Um, but you can find all about what we do at newmanstudies.org. It's been weird, man, the sort of like Arctic uh, front or infiltration or air mass. Uh, <laughs> it's really dipped pretty far south down the Great Plains, but evidently uh, ever since Antonio Brown left, it seems like you guys have been warmer than usual. Yeah, I feel like we we are situated just right in the spot where we must avoid like the harshest elements of winter. Because I'll turn on like the national weather, and you know, um, Buffalo or uh, or maybe like New England is getting hit real bad. But we kind of, like you said, I don't know. I don't want to say it's related to Antonio Brown leaving the city, but <laughs> I'm not ruling out that option. Either. I'm just saying it's been roughly around the same time. It seems to me. Uh, and <laughs> That's right. uh, you also weirdly miss all of the lake effect snow. Strangely enough, yeah, Erie is. I, Erie can't be more than two hours from here. And they'll get, like, 50 inches of snow over the week, and we have none. I love how we're just dedicating the first part of the show to making this sort of weather talk. <laughs> hey, if Iowa Catholic Radio needs to expand their offerings, uh, I can do weather, and I need to feed my children. That's so. right. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, feeding the children, proverbially, uh, this show is the, fed by its underwriters, and one of them, of course, is Mercy College of Health Sciences. And not only at mchs.edu can you go and look and see what sort of future you can have in healthcare or the myriad ways that this can happen. Uh, they also care about students because, Bud, the other day, just to show you that I'm serious about all this snow, uh, they le- they canceled classes after 3 o'clock last week on Friday. So uh, they care about students, uh, A, and then B, uh, yeah, even campus. They had some uh, very uh, beautiful pictures of campus um, up on Facebook with all the nice uh, snow downtown. Yeah, amidst its many strengths, one thing that Mercy does is communicate really well about those matters. And 
it kind of throws me off a bit because I'm living in Pennsylvania <laughs> and all of a sudden like I'll get an email and my phone will ring and I think we've had another one of those like fake missile launches <laughs> but uh it's just mercy canceling classes so it's kind of a win-win like no missile launch and I'm in the loop <laughs> You've just figured out a really easy way to feel better about life. <laughs> if you, just, you if you assume every time your phone rings it might be a missile launch and it's not, I mean that's like free roses every day, man. That's the, that's the way to live. Uh, my uh, mom and dad, now famously within our family, decided for their fortieth anniversary to go to Hawaii, uh, which, if you know my parents, that struck all of us as strange. They like beaches, they've decided. So they're like, well, what's more beach than an island in the middle of the Pacific? Um, they're, uh, <laughs> they did like Hawaii. They're not itching to move there. I guess that's the nice way to say anything about that. But the funny thing is, I was thinking about what you were saying, because the, the, the missile launch mishap was in Hawaii, right? Yeah. And so I could only imagine if that would have happened with Bob and Beth Bonner over in Hawaii, <laughs> with the fake missile launch stuff happening on their phones. So well, uh, I, we I dodged, wanna, a, I dodged wanna, a missile wanna, there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to dwell on this, because I know we have more important things to discuss, and I don't want to make light of it either. But you remember what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, there. I do. I do. I do. I saw videos on YouTube where people actually like crawled into to manholes and things like this. No, I know. I mean, it was it probably was pretty traumatic if you lived there. Yeah, I just uh, that that goes to show you that cell phones blessing slash curse all at once, <laughs> to to say uh, the very least. Um, you know what? I'm gonna say uh, one thing that the internet was a blessing. I wouldn't have ran into our uh, guest for today, uh, if it wasn't for the internet and the old tweets. Uh, so Chris Arnotti, who wrote the book Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America, who we've had on the show talking about his book, uh, is now going to be uh, an Uncommon Good All-Stars coming back on the show. And uh, we'll talk about the front row, back row dynamic that he brought up in the book, but particularly talking about the sort of ways in which um, this is manipulated, talking about the local and the global and the sort of implications um, localism and globalism have both on front row and back row America. We're really gr- glad to have a Chris back on the show, so we're going to be looking forward to that. So that's what we're going to get to talk today, bud, here in about 30 seconds. Any ideas about uh, uh, what we want to get in people's mind before we get Chris on after the first break? Yeah, I know we're up against the break, but just real quickly, I would say if you haven't looked at his work, I, I really encourage you to do so. I think he's one of those writers who is shifting the way that we look at the conversation, because so often when we get bogged down in some of these details, we let sort of the standard way of approaching it determine our conclusions but i think he's got some real creative insights into what's going on in 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 america right now maybe one of the few people that make uh looking at twitter worth it so this is the uncommon good folks right after this we'll be back stick around bo bonner and bud mar this is the uncommon good if folks have any questions for me bud the snow itself or chris arnotti uh we can't do anything about missile launches on this show uh you can text on the zip whip line 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the zip whip line. That's an easy way to do it. But at some point we need to do um, uh, like a, a poll. But I don't think like missile launch uh, misinformation pro or con would be a good one. But I guess if you have any <laughs> ideas uh, or, or thoughts about people uh, misusing uh, cell phone networks, the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. That is 515-223-1150. We would love to hear from you. And if you want to give us a question off air, easy to do so. Just do hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. And we would love to answer your 
uh, question or air your thoughts when we should come back on. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after this. Why do folks give to the Catholic tuition organization? Probably because they love Catholic schools, right? Partially, but they also like the tax benefits, or they were helped when their kids were in school, or they have been blessed and want to bless others. Whatever the reason, the 65% tax credits are great, and after all, it's for the kids and their future. Online, ctoiowa.org. Vitae Family Care is part of the Iowa Catholic Radio family. Pro-life physician Greg McKernan, a DO, has practiced for 27 years seeing patients of all ages with just about every kind of need. Dr. McKernan lives his faith as a physician and is trained in NAPRO technology, allowing him to diagnose and treat many female conditions and even markedly reduce the occurrence of a miscarriage. VitaeFamilyCare.com Remember, Vitae is Latin for life. Thank you to R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning. R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities have unique amenities and award-winning property management. Sierra Point and Country Club Village Apartments in West Des Moines and residents at 62W and Wynwood Apartments in Johnston. R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities wants you to love where you live. Learn more at rrrealty.com. That's rrrealty.com. Find out how you can support Iowa Catholic Radio at iowacatholicradio.com or 515-223-1150. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Back at the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening on all of our affiliate radio stations. Our guest today is now an Uncommon Good all-star, and we appreciate him coming back on the show. Uh, Author Chris Arnotti, who wrote the book Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. Uh, He's also written at several other places, and like I said, maybe one of the few human beings on Earth that make Twitter a worthwhile follow. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm not sure I make Twitter worthwhile, but thank you, though. I said might might make it worthwhile, <laughs> Chris. Uh, I, I I'm not. I don't. I don't want to always use my radio show to brag, but I want to brag on myself real quick for you. It really is because of this show that your book uh, is currently for sale in the Des Moines local uh, Catholic bookstore. So I thought that was pretty uh, good accomplishment on the show. So thank you for coming back. That makes me very happy, and I I enjoyed the time I spent in Des Moines, so that makes me especially happy. Fantastic. So just real quick, so we can set the basis for, uh, you know, today's show, we really want to talk about um, a theme that I've seen more and more on your Twitter feed, talking about local and global uh, implications, horizons, these things like this, and the effect on uh, what you've called, you know, back row and front row America. But for people who might not know, can we talk about, you know, what your journey what your journey that eventually ended up in the book so we can talk about how your experiences gave you a perspective about this local and global divide so what is the book dignity uh the fruition of um it's uh it's basically the summary or the findings or or what i heard over 
course of seven years spending time um, with you know, uh, the uh, what I call the back row of America and what some people would call the forgotten parts of America, the overlooked, the stigmatized parts of America, flyover country, if you will, although I spent a lot of time in the East Coast. Um, it's parts of America that your listeners probably know very well. It's smaller towns, um, smaller communities, um, in larger towns, and places where the kind of defining feature is um, not a lot of people have uh, have a li- have a advanced education, and that's the that's the framework back row I use. Um, it's places like um, uh, you'll find. Um, I think Hampton, Iowa, is the town I spent uh, about a, a few days or a weekend in uh, when I was doing this this journey, um, and I literally drove I think three hundred seventy five thousand miles <laughs> around the country. Wow! Um, spending time in these places over the course of seven years. The f- and the fascinating thing I want to like comment about the book one more time before we get into this more sort of uh, specific detail of it is so not only do you write about you know the people you have encountered and uh, the, the, the various stories um, that you you glean from them but you also uh, took pictures this is where the idea of dignity comes uh, into play uh, where you very specifically ask people how would you like to be photographed and uh, so your book is a, a, a joint uh, multimedia affair as it were you have like all the words but then you have photos of these folks and that idea is exactly this idea of dignity, the, the back row, whatever else is uh, common between these various places in the country that's afflicting them. Uh, what you very much zero in on is what they're after and what they're searching for is dignity. Um, dignity not only in an individual way, but dignity uh, in a communal way. And to your mind, that's one of the things that has been left behind in this ever-growing chasm between the back row and the front row. And I think that gets at where we want to start with the conversation today. Like I said, on your Twitter feed, you really have been honing in on the difference between the sort of local perspective and the global perspective and how many in the front row, uh, for various reasons, have such a global mindset, as it were, that the local one, it's even hard for them to sort of conceive of it in order to talk about why it would be important to anyone. And this idea of having dignity in a place has seemed to um, be frayed, if not dissipated. Um, is that sort of like what, with, with you know, the elections coming up and everything like this, is, is this where uh, the, the, these thoughts are coalescing for you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, I, my personal story is one of having grown up in a small town and, um, and left very quickly, as soon, literally as soon as I could. Once I got my college degree, uh, I was out of there. And I always just assumed that's what you were supposed to do. And so much of um, the public discourse at, at the elite level is, is, is emphasizing that you should do that, that if you stay in your town, if you stay in your community, you're somehow, you somehow have failed and you have, um, and you're provincial, and you're lacking, and somehow you're a lesser person. That you know, we've we the collective we the, the political class has kind of created policies that just assume people are 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 widgets that can just move at a, at a you know at a drop of a hat and should move at a drop of a hat. And you know, it's one of these things that I talk about in my book. Like, I call what I call non-credential forms of meaning, 
things that are gifted to you at birth that have value and that really are, you know, are important are things like place, you know, your local community, the, you know, the, the hills you grow up next to, the, the people who live in your community, the, the, the heritage of all your family there and your neighbors and, 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 the, and you know, the, the tradition that you inherit by simply being born. And that's exceedingly important to people. And I think when the policy class, the front row, has forgotten that for a variety of reasons. One is it's not who they are. They've, they've generally moved a lot um, for their careers they've, to build a resume, but also because it's not really how they think. They think in terms of things that you can measure. What's the value of this? <laughs> you know, what's the value of somebody staying their entire life in one community and helping to build that community and helping to you know, build their family and keep the community strong, they don't know how to even think about that. So they just look at it as having no value. And they tend to believe that all that matters is what they can measure, and what they can measure is economic growth, and economic growth only matters. It's, an, it's imperative for economic growth that we all just be what I call basically economic migrants in our own country. Just, you know. And so many of their policies are also... I think it's someone who reviewed my book said it better than I can. I did. And my book said one of the lessons is the you know the policies we have right now are not conducive to building healthy communities at the local level. You know, you it, it's it's been very hard as you, a lot of your listeners listeners know well far better than me for them to maintain their communities against the global forces that are kind of you know are working against them. Chris, this is Bud Marr, and I was talking about your book the other day with a friend, and uh, he was someone who came from like a rural context and has been very successfully successful professionally. And I was surprised. I, I've, he, he's, he's someone who generally has a lot of empathy, but like when I shared some of these thoughts, and I probably did a far poorer job than you do, um, you know, his response is like, that's great and all. But we just live in a changing world. And I almost got this vibe that I was sort of like enabling uh, people to be lazy or giving them a false bill of goods to say, like, to, to, to praise, like, attachment to place. I think the way this is sometimes captured on Twitter is you'll see people jokingly say things like, learn to code. If anyone brings up, you know, uh, communal or economic sort of uh, problems or stressors, the answer is, like, just try a little bit harder have you have you faced this sort of thing um, as you've talked to other people about your book, and what sort of um, ways do you respond to to those responses? I mean, again, I get lots of that push. You know, there's the the some people call it U-Haul policy. The way to solve these problems is you know people should move. Um, you know, and that's just the way they think, and it's just really hard to try to explain to them that that's not you know. That's not how other people necessarily think. And in many ways, you know, the frustration of the front row, I have with the front row is so much, first of all, they're well-intentioned people. These are not people who are cynical and who are out to, you know, do bad, to harm to people. They think they're actually helping them when they say learn to code. They really do believe they're doing, they're doing, they're doing the right thing. So it's harder to argue with them because they really are convinced that what they're doing is right. And I actually think they think they're what they're doing it right. This isn't people who have bad intentions. I just want to make that clear. And so, but what they, what they, I think they failed to understand 
is that in many ways they're telling people what to do when I believe the way to help people is to ask them what they what they want to do, not tell them what to do. You know, if you know, you, you, it's, it's in many ways a very colonial, um, elitist attitude to tell people this is what you have to do to be successful. You have to do what I did. You have to you have to follow the, the path I followed. Well, not everybody can do that for a variety of reasons, but also not everybody wants to do that. You know, I mean, one of the things I one of the conversations I think I repeated multiple times is, you know, I, when I go and talk to people, I've I've interviewed I don't know thousands and thousands of people all across the United States, and you know, there's just there's these times when I'd, I'm checking my notes and I'm saying, okay, you know, you grew up you grew up here, right? You know, you spent all your life here, and the person, I remember the person, it was somewhere in Ohio, he corrected me. He goes, no, I grew up five miles down the road from here. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and if I ask these, if I ask people, I've heard it multiple times, I said, you know, why didn't you move? And they just looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, this is where my family is. Why would I move? You know, and it's, 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 it's offensive hmm. to tell people how to live, you know, um, and tell them this is what you have to do to be successful. I mean, yes, by my terms, I mean, you, they're judging success by how they view success, not by how other people view success. People want in general, one of the things is to be in general left alone to live their lives as they want to live them. And for many people, that means staying in the same town um, and getting value from that. Well, one of the things that I am fascinated about this conversation is how it really will cause what is sort of stereotypically seen as uh, left and right, conservative and liberal uh, words or, or even like ways of talking about this to sort of the language gets outstripped and you find weird people agreeing with each other. Um, so uh, Roger Scruton, who just passed away, considered sort of like a conservative vanguard, but he had a, a book where he was talking about um, the conservative case for um, uh, green uh, concerns. And the reason I'm getting at this is he has a term he th- coined, oikophilia, which is Greek, which would mean love of place. <laughs> and his whole argument is you're not going to get people caring about the environment in general unless they care about, like, this river or this soil or these trees, like, that they've they've lived anywhere long enough to care about a local place. And he goes, that's sort of what globalism has caused is that people don't stick around anywhere enough to to feel a pride of place enough to then also care about the environment in general. And so it's funny how like this is, you know, if if you try to peel away the layers about what's conservative, what's liberal in this sort of view, you kind of miss the point because he gets at an essential thing, right, is to say people learn to have larger concerns by having small local concerns first. This is how we learn language. This is how we learn empathy as children. This is sort of the natural progression. So just on a human level, to even get at the sort of like global and cosmopolitan concerns, it seems that people forget uh, and and outstrip this very human thing, which is to say we start off with local concerns. And if if we get rid of that capacity to, you know, completely then people don't actually have, like, global concerns. They have abstract concerns. And I I sometimes, in reading your book, that seems to me something that comes up again and again is that people, like you said, who don't think of themselves as widgets in a large global economy, but, like, people with a place and family, um, in a natural way, 
that's what they just come up with. They, they start to ask, you know, why wouldn't you love somewhere? And I think that that gets to exactly maybe why you're saying there's so many of us front row that miss this, is if you haven't learned to love a place, how are you going to learn to love uh, someone else whose place is different, as it were? Right. I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 as you said, the left-right spectrum is, is skewed on this one because I grew up in a traditional leftist household, um, and my understanding of how my father's generation thought was that you were against globalism. You were against globalism in the sense of you were against large global corporations coming in and, and kind of turning every place into the same thing, you know, to, to, to strip mauling the world um, and, 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 um, and bulldozing differences down. Um, that was, in many ways, you know, <laughs> part of what the left was fighting against. It was fighting against, you know, the term was the Walmart at the time, you know, Walmart to come in and, and, and kind of level the, level the field so that it all seemed the same. But that's now what, what the left, m- much of the broad part of the left um, advocates for is what I think is just smoothing out you know, local meaning to replace it by this kind of nebulous global meaning, which is simply based on materialism and is, is simply based on, um, you know, ignoring differences um, to the point of um, destroying them. And the, the problem I have is, is, this is, this is, this doesn't mean, you know, local places can't change. You know, one of the, my community um, and I, I think a lot of people have seen this in Iowa, is, you know, outsiders can come into a community and, and, and change it over time and make it better. You know, I, I think back to my town, which, you know, was growing up 40% African-American, 40% white, and 20% Hispanic. It's now probably um, a third, a third, a third. The Hispanic population has grown. The Mexican and it's made the community, and they've done it in a way that's made the community a healthier place. So this, I'm not against change. What I'm against is is force change. Things that you know require you to change, um, and if you don't change, then you lose. And that's there's a big difference there. And I I feel like we're in a world now. That just wants to see everything, everything the same, and that isn't how people feel. That's not the way people think. People want to have their own form of meaning. They want to have their their family. They want to have their traditions, and it's unrealistic. And it's asking people to effectively, you know, become spreadsheets, you know, <laughs> and maximize efficiency in this way that just denies a, a basic humanism. Yeah, Chris, it sound, sounded like on Twitter that you're paying attention to some of the presidential debates. And I wonder, you know, as I was following last night, someone, one, one, someone on my feed wrote, uh, the candidates keep talking about careers, but for so many Americans, their concern is, is, is a job. And I just, when I saw that comment, I thought, in what ways do maybe the way that politicians frame things map on or maybe skew the way people talk about the issues that you're addressing do you see 
positive momentum at the level of our public discourse about genuine concern for um, the back row that's seeking dignity? Um, it's, you know, I, I think I just ranted about this on Twitter just a few minutes ago um, <laughs> about how I think what frustrates me, and I am a Democrat, and I'm going to be honest there, um, I come from the left, and so it's frustrating to me to see last night's debate and other debates where I think everything's framed in the concept of, you know, building a better resume, helping you build a better resume, as opposed to helping your community have a, have stronger health. It's not to say that I don't believe the Democrats have better policies to make communities healthier. It's just that I think the way they sell them and the way they emphasize them is, you know, is is very much only really thinking about people who, well, you know, the front row, um, and that's very frustrating. Is you know, the example I used was similar to what um, perhaps the person on Twitter said, which is how they framed um, health care, uh, how they framed um, child care, which is as if, you know, I think, you know, it, you, I believe we should have um, uh, cheaper and more affordable child care so people can build families um, who want to build families, not frame it as people can build better resumes, you know, allow them to build better resumes allow them to work harder um you know <laughs> some people just want to have children because that's what people want to do they want to build a family and it shouldn't be talked about in the framework of well this allows you to continue continue your career you know and that's honestly that's not how people live most people live as the other person said they they live job to job and they're not they're now not out there trying to just build a, a resume so we're talking with uh, Chris Arnotti, the uh, author of Dignity. Uh, we are going to the break, but when we get back, we'll dive deeper into this question about local, the global, and how this affects the front row and the back row. This is The Uncommon Good. Stick around. We'll be back with uh, myself, Bud Mark, Chris Arnotti, right after these messages. If you want to keep up with what The Uncommon Good and all of Iowa Catholic Radio is up to, it's easy to do. You can go to our website, iowacatholicradio.com, the OG source of social media. Uh, there you can listen to the station live. You can see our calendar of events on air and throughout the diocese. You can sign up for uh, the uh, our message that goes to out uh, in the email box. And you can also donate there as well. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just search for Iowa Catholic Radio and befriend us, and then we will have Facebook friendship, uh, and it will be great. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at IA Catholic Radio. Receive our tweets as we tweet about daily uh, on our uh, mission here to reach everyone through uh, Iowa Catholic Radio. So you can do that, and we will be back after this. Thank you. Why do folks give to the Catholic tuition organization? Probably because they love Catholic schools, right? Partially, but they also like the tax benefits, or they were helped when their kids were in school, or they have been blessed and want to bless others. Whatever the reason, the 65% tax credits are great, and after all, it's for the kids and their future. Online, ctoiowa.org. 
Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Thank you, R&R Realty Group, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. R&R Realty Group is an Iowa commercial real estate owner and developer that provides services for all commercial real estate needs, including brokerage, interior space planning, real estate management, construction, and more. R&R Realty Group has been accommodating business expansions and real estate solutions since 1985, solving commercial real estate needs. R&R Realty Group, establishing long-term relationships built on trust. Let the message of Christ dwell among us as we teach and advise one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with grateful hearts. Hi, this is Tony Calumet, Iowa Catholic Radio's Executive Director. Thank you for your support in allowing us to connect listeners to Christ. Your financial support and prayers keep Iowa Catholic Radio on the air. Would you consider a $30 a month gift? You can give securely online at iowacatholicradio.com or through the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Thank you. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We should get a little bit of sunshine this afternoon mixed with clouds, gusty wind, our temperature dropping to the mid-20s. Clear tonight and cold, low near zero, sunny and 16 tomorrow. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening in. Our guest today is back on the show, uh, Chris Arnotti, the author of Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. Chris, thank you for joining us on the show again. Thank you again for having me. So, Chris, one of the things when it starts coming down to these talks about local and globalism and and what people, um, you know, when they're trying to hear folks out and trying to understand what we mean uh, when we're having these discussions, a a way to shortchange them, it seems to me, is uh, to to, to take either of of, of the ideas and sort of um, go overboard making them um, bigger than what anybody's trying to say. So what I mean by this is when you start talking about localism, people will start accusing you of like, oh, so you're a look at this in terms of technology. If you bring up like you're worried about social media and how it works, people are often uh, will throw out you, oh, but you're writing this on social media. So how can you really care about social media if you just tweeted this out? Or they'll be like, oh, so you think we should be Luddites and we should ride around in horses and buggies, right? Like that's the easy way to do this. And they'll do this with localism as well. Oh, so you're acting like um, the fact that we don't interact with other cultures, you just want there to be a monolith. Obviously, this is the easy way to make a parody of what we're trying to voice our concern. Um, but I do think that one of the things we have to be very forward about is what what I don't hear from you ever is that the, the only way to solve problems are local solutions. Obviously, there are some things that we'll have to have interstate, international, intercontinental solutions. But the question starts to be about what does it mean to be human and how we relate to other humans. And I think what 
the modern world through the technology we have has allowed people this is what I think you, you you tell me if I'm wrong about this. What I think you mean by widgets is since we're able to talk to people that maybe we never will interact with face to face. I've talked to you twice now and have actually never met you in person. There's an easy way to start dealing with people like we deal with ideas. That is, we can deal with them in an abstract way um, that, that's not unreal, but it's a lot different than saying I'm dealing with someone face to face that I'm going to maybe accidentally run into at the grocery store. And maybe that's exactly why it's easy to ignore the back row, because we don't have a lot of uh, opportunities um, to, to even run into the back row that's in our own hometowns. Do, do you, is that getting what you mean by widgets right? Uh, that's, that's part of it, certainly. I mean, at a larger level, I mean, I think policymakers, the political class, doesn't think in human terms they think in spreadsheet terms they think as you know i i look i look at the free trade agreements as being an example of that where you know surprisingly the words that i would i generally use was almost used verbatim last night by um by my by mayor pete in the debate where he said you know the front row has sold trade as the, the pie grows larger therefore it's good even though there are some losers without thinking about what those losers really lost. And, you know, all that really matters is that they, um, the, the equations in their spreadsheet tells them the pie is going to grow larger. What they don't see, because they're removed from it, because they're either in D.C. or they're in a, a university somewhere, is they don't see what the losses really are. And the losses are empty, empty lots that once had factories, that once provided jobs, that once gave people stability, that once created the ability for commu- people to, to, to build families and communities to thrive. So they just, they, and, and their solution to the issue of the losses is, is just move. People can just, they're just transactional. People only care about, <laughs> you know, getting more stuff, growing, building, getting more money and, and moving on and don't care about, the connections they form across their lives. But in terms of the actual, you know, what you said in terms of not interacting with people, see, you know, just just conversations that don't take into account their humanity, I think that's very true as well because I only look at, I'm, I'm roughly in my 50s and mid-50s, and having grown up, even though my, my family, my parents were front row, my dad was a professor in a town, where that was extraordinarily rare. It was a small town, small Catholic community of 500 people in Florida, um, where we were one of the few front row families. Um, I interacted, <laughs> you know, with everybody in the town, and that wasn't necessarily a choice. It's just the way it was. I knew everybody in town. Everybody knew me, and I had had friends and and, and neighbors and everybody from very different social strata, very different worldviews, and that's just how we, how, we, how we interacted. My own children don't necessarily have that, not because I don't want it for them, but because it's harder and harder to do. We've become siloed in a way, and um, you know, that makes it harder to have cross-class, cross-race, cross-gender um, experiences, and that, again, it's not... <laughs> 
it's not something where people say, I don't want to talk to these dirty, dirty poor people. It's just that they, they there's no need for them to do that anymore. It's just we've become siloed. And that's, and that just, that takes away so much in terms of how we think about policy and how we think about issues. Um, but my bigger concern is that we've created a, our culture has created what I call just basically one form of meaning. You, you, there's one way of de- being successful that everybody just assumes is correct, which is that you've got to build a resume, you've got to go to college, you've got to get more stuff, you've got to build a career, and it diminishes all other ways of finding a meaningful life, such as faith, such as staying, such as place, finding, staying in your community, worshiping at your at your um, church. Those things matter, should matter as much as material wealth, and I think we've forgotten that they sh- they, they they do matter to most people as much as material wealth. Yeah, if uh, if I can sort of hijack theological terms, the way that I, I think about this when you say these things is, so an incarnational understanding of the human takes, you know, serious, right, that we're body and soul, and that you're going to have, so to speak, the marks of the place that you're from. And if if we set up society where people sort of, you know, like carne, right, incarnate, like carne asada, I'm currently hungry, and so I'm thinking of, but flesh, right, that if, if in our fleshiness we sort of bump into each other, there's a way that we transmit a human life life to each other just by the sheer living, but we really have tried our best to align life in a sort of Gnostic way, and I mean that quite literally, the Greek word Gnostic, right, that there's some sort of secret knowledge that if you figure it out, then you'll have success, right? And that seems to me what you're saying is there's a secret knowledge that we're trying to figure out that's like, you do this, you go to these schools, you do this, you do this sort of job, then bammo, you're successful, right? And, you know, the ancient Gnostics thought this would, like, get them, you know, to in sort of like a, a spiritual realm that, uh, you know, uh, Platonic, Pythagorean, whatever it might be. But the sort of Gnosticism of our day is you can have a sort of on-earth Gnosis, but it's still this sort of secret knowledge. If you only can go to the right place and find the right knowledge, everything will be fine. And those people who have to sort of live the fleshy lives, um, again, no one has to be... Uh, malicious to do this, but we just sort of even categorize space this way. We set up cities this way. Like, there's the parts of town that are doing something about the gnosis of success, and then everyone else is just sort of that discarded flesh. And that's why I just literally think people don't run into each other, uh, like you said. Well, but one of the things that meeting people in the flesh, that getting to know them... It goes back, you know, to one of the things I, when I get cornered and people say, what's the one message from your book or the one thing you hope to take away from the book is that before you judge somebody, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. Right. And what I did for seven years was not walking them. I didn't walk in their shoes. I, I sat at tables and McDonald's and listened to them um, and shared coffee with them, um, you know. And you start understanding that, when you meet people in the flesh and you, he, you you understand their situations a lot better and you understand their decisions a lot better. And if you don't know why somebody is, you know, if you're distant from somebody and you just read about why they did X without the full context of their life, it's very easy to just dismiss them, you know, to say, oh, that person's just, you know, a weak alcoholic. 
that person's just a weak drug user, that person's just you know mentally ill and has problems, um, and to dismiss them. But you know, you talk about initially my photos, and I am a photographer first and foremost, and so part of the reason I started this project was I I, you know, I did something called the phases of addiction, where I started taking pictures of people who are categorized as addicts. I prefer the term um, drug users now, but um, because every term, other term is so stigmatized. But um, part of what I did was I took pictures of the people looking into the camera, face on, traditional kind of portraits that, as you mentioned, I, I asked them how they wanted to be photographed and how they want to be seen because we don't look at people. You know, we don't stop and look at people who are going through um, distress. Um, and we don't do that because once you do that, you see their human humanity and it's much harder to judge them. It's much harder to dismiss them. And it brings a whole house of cards we've built collapsing because then you start thinking and realizing how unfair things are, our society is. And so it was to make, make people stop and, and, and look at people. And then, you know, then I added their stories in there to make you understand or hope make people realize that when you do hear why they are where they are and you do look at them, you realize that you know there's a lot more going on than them, them being a, a weak person or a lazy person or what have you, whatever dismissive term. There's, there's a whole backstory there, a whole a whole story of them having, you know, you may not be able to, you may not be walking in their, uh, a mile in their shoes, but you, you at least have some sense of you know, what it's like for them to walk a mile in their shoes. Chris, I think uh, political commentators in our country have been uh, somewhat surprised by the rise of populist movements and even like new nationalist movements in the U.S. and in, in Europe. And some of that, I, I think, gained traction because, you know, um, the back row felt like they didn't have a voice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have seen in some places where when when the talk moves to globalism, there's this concern that it's kind of code for um, an ethno-nationalism that, you know, like we wouldn't in any way want to support. I don't know, could you talk about the distinctions between like uh, the sort of localism that you have in mind and the concerns of the people who you who you met with on a regular basis when writing your book, as opposed to, <laughs> um, you know, these less savorable sort of political movements that we've seen? R right. I mean, my I, you know, one of the things that um, when I when I mentioned that I'm you know I'm for localism and against and, and against globalism, I, I got accused by some of um, racism and uh, anti-Semitism. And uh, you know, one of my frustrations was um, we I, um, I, I don't know if the listeners understand, but I also I spent before I did this project, I spent 20 years on Wall Street. Where we very proudly use the term globalism as a description of ourselves. Globalist was a term we proudly used. So it's frustrating to see that term be morphed into something that um, you can't talk about, um, or some ask you not to talk about because it's inconvenient for them, and, or because some very, very, very bad people also talk about that term. For me, globalism is a set of policies that emphasizes economic growth over everything else that emphasizes um, global global trade global business interest over everything else and diminishes 
other forms of meaning and literally bulldozes um, anything that stands in the way of the, the, the global GDP gr- going higher and higher. So, you know, the, the frustration I have is, um, you know, I think that is a very... <laughs> uh, I think there is... I think that 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 being against that or being for more local control, being for policies that allow communities to to build to build people to build healthy communities with input from themselves is actually <laughs> the opposite of populism. I mean, it's 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 populism in the good way. It's a lot. It's giving power back to the people and taking it away from. Uh, you know, uh, a, 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 a small group of um, wealthy um, business interests. Chris, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to speak for you, but like for me, the the way that you, the, the people can rest assured that what you're talking about is like you said, not this sort of abstract populism, um, but of course I'm going to use my word for it, in, incarnate populism goes back to what you were saying about taking pictures. To me, that just encapsulates so much of what you're getting after. You're exactly right. Your pictures are nearly iconographic. I don't mean that they're like literally icons that people have halos, but the sort of setting is the same. You have the human face with the center point almost always being um, a human set of eyeballs looking at the person, looking at the photo. Um, what you got criticized early on, which I thought was completely unfair, that's a whole other topic. Um, but what I realize is that a lot of photographers think that if you're not doing quote-unquote realistic uh, sort of shots, like people sort of like uh, in the middle of doing something, that somehow you're glorifying thi- I mean, you, you were accused of all sorts of ridiculous things in my mind. To me, what it gets down to is to say that um, you think about even like the sort of old portraiture, the idea is why wouldn't you look the human in the eyes, right? Like this is the dignified way to look at someone else. It's two people, three people, or a group of people eye to eye. And um, in that way, your photographs are almost nearly all a throwback. I mean, absolutely is the case in sort of like photography circles that you don't see this nearly as much as you used to. Uh, And uh, I think that that is exactly the sort of again, my words, incarnated uh, localism that you're getting at is like we have to be able to look face-to-face and appreciate the fact that the people that we're looking at uh, have, uh, that that they're looking back at us and that they're saying something about themselves even just in their comportment and their their, uh, their composure. And um, I'm, I'm going on too much about this. But for me, that really was exactly... Um, the the local global debate is encapsulated in the sort of theory of way you took photos of other people, right? You know, th- well, thank you. And one of the things, I mean, you know, it's so easy to tend to turn people into statistics and data, and it's very hard to to hear individual stories because, again, it makes it <laughs> it makes the conversations a lot more messy, um, and it 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 defies simple it defies um, easy categorization and. Um, when you know you, you can say, "Hey, let's get rid of this factory. Let's sh- let's ship it to Indonesia, and ship these jobs to Indonesia." And um, um, you know, sure, you know, two hundred people lose their jobs, but they'll, you know, they'll they'll figure out something else. But when you actually look at the people and hear their stories, it makes that decision a lot harder and a lot and and, and puts it in the proper context of how I think it should be thought about is. 
are we really doing the right thing here as measured by what we want as a country? Um, and we, you know, are we really, provo- are we really providing, you know, treating people like <laughs> I believe we should ask, we, we should treat people as each being you know, as valuable as every individual is as valuable as every other individual. And we sh- there aren't people who we should just kind of like dismiss because they don't, we don't like the way they, um, they look. We don't like the way, the way they behave. Um, and that to me is what is, you know, so frustrating with the policy of our, you know, our current global globalism is that it just really, it's just database that doesn't value individuals. And, you know, I, I keep going back to this one story, and it's, it's a silly little story, but I remember, you know, I don't know, three years ago, two years ago maybe, I was on, a, on one of my many cross-country drives, and I think I was outside of Baton Rouge somewhere in, in, in roughly a year ago, I think it was, two years ago. Um, it was in January, and... Uh, I was sitting in a Waffle House, like you know, just kind of minding my own business, just getting lunch. And there were there were two employees there. It was it was empty, just two employees, and they were talking to each other. And I was you know overhearing their conversation. And you know, one of them was probably a thirty-two year old white guy, and the other one was a forty-eight year old black woman, I believe. And I remember him. He was complaining about something or other, and you know and saying, you know, what he wanted in life, and she asked him, like, what do you want in life? And he was like, I, ju- I just want a job that provides me enough money to build a family and do my hobbies. <laughs> you know, just let me, he was just basically, just leave me alone to do my thing, to find my own meaning. Give me enough, give me ability to, to work, to, to, to buy a home, to build a family, and then to pursue my interests as I define them, not as somebody else defines them. I mean, that's not that's not much to ask, and I think that's kind of what we should hope to do for people is just allow, in many ways, leave them alone um, to do to 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 do their own thing, in in a way that they want to do it, and not tell people how they have to behave. Chris, uh, we're, we, we've reached the end of the show. It's been uh, fantastic to have you on, as always, and I always feel like we could uh, talk for another hour uh, very easily. So we appreciate you coming on again. Um, just real quick, if people, uh, what's the easiest way for them to find your work? Um, I just Google my, my name, and um, I, I believe my book is on sale um, at your Catholic bookstore. There you go. It's also on sale um, <laughs> in other places. Um, I. I'm on Twitter, and I'm, I'm going to guess a lot of your readers, uh, listeners, aren't necessarily on Twitter, and I applaud them for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know, I am. I, I have. Um, I have an ex. A part of my book has been um, published. An ex- excerpt of my book was published in, I believe, it's First Things magazine, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a good place. One of the things we didn't touch on here is is uh, religion, and that's a place where I talk about religion and faith. No, it's it's a fantastic article, and in fact, I tell everyone go look that up. I'm I'm almost dead sure that like you can see that behind the firewall. So, uh, Chris Arnotti, the book is Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. Uh, Chris, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for having me. Enjoy the winter, thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, uh, the country, the world, the whole kitten caboodle. This is the uncommon good. We'll be back next week. <laughs> 
But if folks are interested in uh, listening uh, to us and following along the prayer life on air, what can they uh, expect every day? We have uh, prayer regularly structured into our programming. So the rosary, the first rosary of the day is at 530 in the morning. That's followed by the Angelus at 6 a.m. There's a 930 a.m. rosary for our country. And then at night, we pray the rosary again at 930. And, folks, the big thing that I want to press, especially the men out there, the 2020 Iowa Catholic Men's Conference, Sons of the Father, will be February 22nd, 2019, at Embassy Suites downtown. The conference is 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., mass offered at 7.30 a.m., registration at 8, and the conference starts at 9. Speakers include Iowa State uh, head football coach Matt Campbell, the Man Up show host Joe Stopulis, hosted by John Leonetti. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Go to iowacatholicradio.com to learn more. And then also we have uh, other Man Up lunches. Uh, that's seems to be the big theme here. So one on January 10th, and then uh, another one on January 28th. Uh, and then uh, remember us in your prayer life, uh, and also if you're thinking about um, donations, iowacatholicradio.com, an easy place to do that. Uh, Bud, thanks. Uh, enjoy your sunny weather out in Pittsburgh. No, I appreciate it, Bo. And uh, everybody, God blesses the Uncommon Good. We will be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.